Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the imagination of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have an Old and New Testament lesson today. I'll begin with the lesson from Proverbs. Do not envy the wicked, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of mischief. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all pleasant and precious riches. And then from Ephesians. So he, Jesus, came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually in a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. On my recent study sabbatical, I spent some time thinking about buildings, what they are and how we inhabit them. Over the last three Wednesday evenings, I've shared some of my insights in a series called Buildings and Belief. I told a story the first night that comes from Rowan Moore's book, Why We Build. It's about the celebrated English architect John Stone. He once designed the magnificent Bank of England, which sadly no longer stands. Stone had a personal dream. He wanted to design the most beautiful expression of a house ever imagined. Maybe he succeeded. The house he designed and in which his family lived is now a London museum dedicated to house design. But a house becomes a home by the way it is inhabited, right? Unhappy was the family that lived in Soane's beautiful house. The architect's sons hated him because, according to Moore, they could not live up to his high and cold ideals of what he imagined a family should be. He eventually disowned them both. One son even wrote a book to disparage his father, claiming that all his good ideas he stole from others, which is pointless because all architects find inspiration from others. So do preachers, by the way. If Moore's story is fair, then John Soane built a beautiful house because he was brilliant in the art of architecture but built an unhappy home because he failed in the art of relationships. In contrast, I think of the Zerbies. 
That family of nine, two parents and seven daughters, lived in the house that I now live in on Stanley Avenue. That house is used to being overrun with girls and women. When the Zerbies lived there, the house had five bedrooms and only one bathroom with a bath or shower. Remember, seven daughters. But from the stories that I heard, though crowded, they lived in a happy home. Two sisters lived in that house for almost 70 years. An uncle even bought the house next door to be close to them. And then when the two sisters moved into the uncle's house, Millie and I bought the house they grew up in, and they became our neighbors. Before Millie and I moved in, we had some renovations done. We refinished the attic, we expanded and updated the kitchen, and we turned one of the bedrooms into another bathroom. All improvements. But the sisters next door would never come over and see what we had done. Oh, I'm sure it was nice, they would tell us, but it would break our hearts by spoiling our memories of home. And I understood I mean, we have beautiful facilities here at Second Presbyterian Church, don't we? And renovation is a big reason for much of the beauty. This past Wednesday, I gave a PowerPoint theological tour of this place. And I think everyone in attendance was reminded of just how beautiful these facilities are and how well thought out the renovations. But still, this keeps happening. Still, when, when somebody comes back to visit this church who grew up here but hadn't been here since the renovations that person often finds it to be a bittersweet experience. Most love what has been done. They praise it, but they also struggle to remember how it used to be because their identity as members of the church were formed in those spaces. The old places bring back the old memories, memories about people that they knew and loved and really memories about who they were then. I mean, some of us would hate to lose what we have now. I want you to be playful with me a bit. I want you to imagine these facilities as a museum, preserving our memories. I mean, if John Soane's home could become a museum of house design, why can't this place become a museum of church design? Well, there would be a few changes. The portico would be enclosed to provide space to sell tickets and house an x-ray machine to check carry bags and and a counter to distribute those audio devices. The nice volunteer at the desk who hands you the audio device tells you to look for small signs. It'll have an audio icon on it and a number, and you punch in that number, and you learn about what's on display. I conducted an imaginary audition to decide whose voice should be heard on that audio device. Bill Klein almost got the job. Because I remember years ago, Barbara Lemon telling me that his voice is sonorous. I agreed with her. I hung up the phone and I went to dictionary to find out what sonorous means. <laughs> it means many sounds. But despite Bill's sonorous voice, he didn't get the gig. The DJ at the radio station on which we record radio spots says that Elizabeth Link has the perfect radio voice. And so she was chosen. It's Elizabeth's voice that you hear on this tour. So when you enter the church, get past that portico room, when you enter the church, you notice a sign on the pedestal with the ear icon and the number 001, 001. You punch that number into your device and you hear Elizabeth say, Welcome to what was once Second Presbyterian Church of Roanoke, Virginia. The door into which you have entered was once called the portico entrance. 
Look down and notice the image embedded in terrazzo in the floor. It depicts a cross within a compass. When first installed, the emblem bothered a few engineers in the congregation because the compass failed to point due north. What the emblem succeeded in doing was embody the mission statement of the congregation, finding direction by following Jesus. Are you using your imagination? Can't you just hear it? Elizabeth's voice goes on to explain a little bit about what that meant, that we were a congregation that was committed more to following Jesus than defining him. And as she wraps up, she invites you to walk toward the cross and proceed into Kirk Hall. Standing at the front of Kirk Hall, you punch in 002 and you hear the voice say, When Kirk Hall was first built, it created a central gathering space which tied all the facilities together. It joined two upper floors and three basements that did not previously connect. Then later, standing in the middle of Kirk Hall, you punch in 003. The voice then tells you to face the tower with the cross hanging up at the top, and the voice says, As you come into Kirk Hall, your eyes lift to the cross. You are reminded that the God of heaven came down to earth to meet us where we live. The cross is the right symbol of Christian welcome. It represents the radical, sacrificial, and unconditional love of God. It represents the grace by which we are saved. It represents the call for those who follow Jesus to take up the cross with him. Even the tower's function as an elevator shaft is theological, for the elevator makes our facilities accessible to all, reminding us that the cross symbolizes God's grace is available to all. The voice then asks you to turn around. And look up again to see the stained glass window of the descending dove. You are told. The design of this window is based on a painting by an artist within the church. The descending dove symbolizes God's spirit. As you leave this hall to go out into the world, the window assures you that God's spirit goes with you. The voice then directs you to look at the portraits that line one side of Kirk Hall. There's a number beside the portraits. This being a museum that hopes to sell tickets, the voice doesn't bore you with too many details, but sticks with isolated memories and interesting facts. You punch in 004 and you hear, among other things, that Dr. Robert Campbell Anderson, the founding pastor of Second Presbyterian Church, went on to be the first director of the Montreat Conference Center and the first president of Montreat Anderson College. That Dr. Spencer Edmonds preached in tales and served wine at session meetings. That. Dr. Arthur Robotham spoke with a Scottish brogue. And that. Children thought Dr. Hayden Hollingsworth spoke with the voice of God. You hear about Bill Klein's guidance of seminary interns and of his beautiful pastoral prayers. Dr. George Anderson's portrait is not on the wall, but you'll hear about him later when you punch in 007. <laughs> So much of what the ministry of the ministers portrayed are not mentioned because, well, you know how it is with museums and with memories. They can only preserve so much. The tour continues. It takes a little while to get through Heritage Hall because there are so many stories to tell about the pictures that are there, the artifacts on display. You hear about the associate pastors and the major impact they had on the life of the church. You see the stained glass window, the pulpit furnishings, and the communion ware on display, and you hear the voice tell you stories of the early years of the church. 
The tour takes you through the hall with the Edmonds art and you hear about the famous scholars who once came here to speak. The tour takes you down the passageway and to the narthex. And in the narthex, there's a staff photographer awaiting because a trap door is open to expose a hidden staircase where, before the passageway was built, brides used to emerge for the wedding. And visitors are encouraged to have their picture taken coming up through the trap door. You can purchase the picture when you leave the museum. You are guided into this beautiful sanctuary and you hear the stories about these stained glass windows, the pipe organ, the flower arrangements, and why there is so little room for the communion table. The voice tells you it's because the early emphasis of the church was so much placed on the proclamation of the word, on the proclamation of the sermon. The tour goes on and it's easy to spend an entire morning or afternoon here because there's so much to see and learn about a ministry that once was. Now, if there are any visitors in church today, first time visitors or those new to the church, that tour that I just described might have been helpful as a sort of introduction to the church. I mean, when you come to a place for a first time, you wonder what this space is all about and what that means and what is that? what does that do? But for those of us who've been involved for a long time, the life of this congregation, thinking of this church as a museum might have been a bit disquieting. Our ties to this place are not with rooms and relics, but really the relationships that we have here, our sense of community or family, our identity, and the experiences and memories within these spaces, well, the spaces remind us of them, but it's those memories, those experiences that that help us remember who we are as children of God when we're here. Maybe the way that we would speak of this church would be more in keeping with our passages than it would be with the voice of that tour guide. Our passage from Proverbs, for instance, gives its own short tour of a house of God. You notice, though, that this voice does not speak of things material, but a house made of materials of the Spirit. By wisdom, a house is built, the passage says, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I mean, you cannot put wisdom in a display case, maybe a symbol of it like the Bible. You, you can't hang understanding as a portrait on the wall. You, you can't put knowledge on a pedestal. But what you get a sense of are people who are part of a community that live within memories and traditions and practices and have growing the shared wisdom and understanding, this accumulated knowledge that reminds them who they are together as a people of God. Ephesians describes the church in the same way. The foundation of this house of God, Paul says, or the apostle of Paul says, is built upon the foundation of people who've gone before us, the prophets and the apostles. Jesus is the cornerstone. And within this house, built on this foundation, with this cornerstone, aliens and strangers, well, they become family members to each other, members of the household of God. Paul really wants us to think of the walls of this household of God rising in the experience of worship itself. As sins are confessed and pardon assured, as anthems are heard, as hymns are sung, 
as offerings are taken and promises made, as the word is proclaimed by sermon and by sacrament. It is the experience of worship that really binds us to God in this place and binds us to each other and builds this house of the Spirit, not the sanctuary itself, though it's the setting. And so does the fellowship of believers who are there for each other in sorrow and joy and join together in making a witness to the world. Yes, that's the experience of church for those who have had a life here and have witnessed together in and out of these walls. We see spaces, things here. And we don't learn something so much as we remember. Alice Lofton can walk in the fellowship hall and remember not only the many second family receptions and the families that were involved there, but she can remember the youth club meetings of long ago when there were around 150 people, youth and their parents, gathering on a Wednesday night for dinner and Bible study and choir. Doug Settles can come to worship and he can settle down in his spot in the back and to him this sanctuary seems small and warm and intimate, but it doesn't take much for him to remember how the pews were large and the sanctuary cavernous because he can remember so well being a child sitting beside his parents, hearing Dr. Klein's voice giving the sermon. Ralph Baker cannot walk into any space in this church and not have a memory and a story to tell. I mean, he looks at the library and he remembers when it was part of an old fellowship hall. He can remember his sister having a wedding reception there because with gas prices so high, they wanted to have it at a place where most people could walk. He said he couldn't remember if alcohol was served at that reception. And then he remembered that Dr. Holly was a minister, so he said, no, alcohol was not served at that reception. He sees a door and he remembers sneaking out it to meet friends when he was supposed to be in Sunday school. And he sees my study and remembers sitting in there for three hours at a time for a confirmation class on a Sunday afternoon, scared to death that Dr. Holly would call on him and ask him a question. You know, that's why those who have had a long history, a long time in this church, want to see things they knew as children. They want to see things about the facility that remain. They want to see the programs that nurtured them. But they also want to see renovations because they want the church to be around as they age and they want it to be around for other generations to find their own identity and purpose in the household of God in a changing world. Want it to stay the same. Want it to change. So I have one more imaginative tour to suggest to you. A tour of what will be. Such a tour, of course, is impossible because the future is not fixed. But ministers and elders take this kind of tour every year because we're trying to see where it is that God's Spirit is leading us in the coming year and in the coming years beyond. And on this tour, one is driven even more away from the realm of the seen and more in the realm of the unseen, relationships and wisdom, knowledge and witness. For instance... When I imagine Second Presbyterian of the future, I see small groups of people studying together, talking together, sharing concerns and what is important. Now, it's hard to pin down an actual setting or specific chairs or furniture. 
I mean, one second, the vision could be a Sunday school classroom, the next a coffee shop or a restaurant, the next a home. The actual space you see, think in the future doesn't matter so much because what you're seeing is what Proverbs has described, being of the Spirit. You're seeing knowledge, something being learned. You're seeing wisdom, some insight being gained. You're seeing connections, a developing love of God and for each other and for the world. Now, this vision of small groups is really about renovation, not about new building. And because we already have small groups meeting, including the two new ones started this year by Rachel Thompson and Jen Brothers. In my tour of the imagination, I see a larger group gather. There's a discussion going on. The topic is difficult. Might be racism or hate speech and hate crimes, gun violence, immigration, health care. You can see, too, that not everyone is agreeing with each other, that there are different frames of mind, but the conversation is respectful. Folks are listening to each other. It's not a political meeting, that's for sure, but it's a conversation where people can think and talk about these hard areas in a religious and moral way. You don't know how to describe it, but it almost seems like there's a Light shining from this group that is made the brighter because it is surrounded by the darkness of a polarized world where opinions are strong but empathy is weak. Where talking about people is a mean game and talking to people is rare except when they agree with you. This vision is also a renovation and not a new building because of the Can We Talk forums and other events already held here at the church. My tour takes me outside of 214 Mountain Avenue, of course, to places where this church goes. It takes me to the Alpha Omega house. That's an actual house, I know. We can look at it right now, but still, in my imagination, it looks different. It's changed. It's received some tender, loving care. So you don't exactly see pink colors outside or how the house is furnished within, but somehow you see the unseen. You see hospitality being shown to those who need some shelter in the storm of their lives. The tour takes me to the Presbyterian Community Center. Their facilities look different too somehow. They've they broadened their ways to address needs. The tour takes you to the Dominican Republic. And you don't see any longer the cinder block walls and empty rooms of buildings under construction anymore. You see this busy hospital, babies being born, bones broken in moped accidents being set, life-saving surgeries being performed, and the poor receiving good and sanitary medical care before they return to their dirt floor homes. These visions are about renovations, not about new buildings, because the PCC, Alpha Omega House, the Medical Ministry of the Dominican Republic, they've all been ministries of this church for years, but they change. I could go on with my tour into the future of this church. People watching, not just listening to sermons online. A preschool that is as evolved three years from now as today's preschool has evolved from three years ago. Another church pilgrimage, maybe, to the Holy Land or some other sacred site. Of course, a church to the future can't help but see so much continuing as it has the same, but still different. Because even at more second family receptions after church, more church retreats, lecture series, Bible schools, there are new experiences 
New memories being layered, fresh insights, deeper connections made. The experiences and memories that form our baptized identity keep layering on. How well we build what we build, what will later be toured by visitors, that will depend on our building it together. Next Sunday is World Communion Sunday. But then the Sunday after that is Commitment Sunday, when those who support the work and witness of this community of faith are invited to bring here prayerful pledges. In addition to the financial pledges, we have been invited to fill out personal pledges anonymously about our personal investment in Christ's calls and community. Those pledges are about mostly the unseen, but to help our imagination of what we are building together, they will be affixed to cardboard bricks and we'll build something in Kirk Hall to portray a house with Jesus as the cornerstone, a house made of knowledge and wisdom, prayer and worship and service and loving relationships. We have a house to renovate. Let's get to work. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.